Thanks for tuning in to the NCNTSP podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Wayne Williams, an instructional coach with the North Carolina State Region of the NCNTSP. Today I'll be joined by another coach, Ike Smith. He's with the App State Region. We're going to be talking about assessment and specifically how do we plan to make sure we're giving meaningful assessments to our students. We had a great conversation and we're really glad that you could join us for it. I hope you'll enjoy your time with us. Hey, Ike. Good to have you. Hey, Wayne. Uh, so we're here for the uh, NCNTSB podcast, and today we're looking at uh, Construct 5 assessment. And I, I like one of the things that as we were kind of talking earlier that you uh, that you mentioned that, you know, the notion that assessment isn't inherently a bad word. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I just, you know, I, I've in working with teachers and talking with teachers who I, you know, are fantastic teachers who I hold a lot of respect for. I've noticed sometimes this, um, you know, maybe initial or even kind of knee jerk reaction when you say the A word that, you know, it has a lot of negative connotations with it and understandably so, right? Like, um, and I think it, it can be easy to, when we think of assessment, jump to big high stakes summative assessments, right? The EOGs, the EOCs that we know aren't necessarily super authentic in the kinds of tasks that they ask students to perform uh, that, um, you know, are really high pressure and high stakes, and yet are also just this single snapshot in time. It's, it's just a picture of what students can do on one afternoon in May. Um, and so I, I think what is valuable for teachers is to remember that, um, you know, we absolutely should think critically about assessment and, and not every assessment is a good one, but that also doesn't mean that all assessments are bad assessments, right? And so, um, the analogy I would use sometimes in, in previous roles talking with colleagues is like just trying to keep in mind that assessments, it's just a measurement tool, right? And so like thinking of assessments as like a ruler, right? Like I don't necessarily get bent out of shape because a ruler is a ruler. It's more about what am I using that tool for? Am I using it in the right ways? And what am I doing with the information I get from that tool? Um, you know, am I using my ruler to measure something to highlight its deficits or am I using a ruler to measure something and then, you know, figure out how I can build from there, right? Um, to use maybe like a woodworking extended metaphor, I don't know. Um, and, and, so, and to extend that, the old adage of measure twice, cut once, right? You know, right. The, kind of like at the at the end of the year, those those big named assessments that you referred to, like the EOCs, the EOGs, the stuff that goes down in May, that's the cut. Mm -hmm. And if we haven't measured until that one time uh, and the cut is bad, yep, not much to do. Right, right. Yeah, the other uh, analogy that I've heard, I like that one because uh, it, it's not quite as morbid as the other one we've often heard, but I think this is also an apt one. You know what I'm talking about is yep. autopsy data, right? Like yep. by the time we get those, those EOG and EOC results, it's, 
it's too late to act on them. I mean, it can help us reflect and improve our practice for the next batch of kids. But um, for that group of students, it, you know, it's just telling us what was, not what we can do. So I think that's why also uh, thinking about assessment systems, and this was something that was really illuminated for me as I was working on MTSS in Watauga County Schools and, and going through that training, um, you know, that assessment works well when we have multiple assessments at multiple times in multiple modes uh, that we can then take together and think about holistically uh, to, to get a picture of what students can do. Um, so then that gets us into the notion of, you know, formative assessment and benchmark assessments, and then these, you know, maybe periodic summative assessments. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a process and these things have to work together. And I think an important part of that process too is teacher observations. I don't think we can discount, you know, teacher observations of students in their classrooms as a mode of assessment, right? Like qualitative data matters too. Um, so we've got to be able to put all of those pieces together um, to know what students are able to do. Absolutely. And I, I, I love the idea that that you bring up there that, you know, we're, we're assessing or we should be assessing constantly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every time a child gives us something that resembles, you know, that resembles one of their efforts, well then, you know, that's, that's assessment data. That's telling us something. Right. And, and so the assessment act is not, or should not be a single a single event at a designated point of time, but it should be fluid and ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it also kind of makes one of the things I always think about this, especially since this is in, you know, we're kind of we're kind of structuring these podcasts to follow the the planning instruction assessment structure, and mm -hmm. this officially lands in the planning section, right? Right. Which always makes me think of the old Stephen Covey saw begin with the end in mind, right? You know, and and so I I really want to think in terms of you know what. First of all, we we live in a real world where where we're going to be judged on our uh, on our performance on these state tests. So that is one of the ends to which we must pay attention. Mm -hmm. But hopefully a richer end is what does it look like to be successful in this domain mm -hmm. beyond these walls? Right. And, and it, that should have a variety of answers, just like you were alluding to, right? You know, we should be able to discern that in conversation, in small snippets of work, and yes, in, in big projects mm -hmm. or, you know, things that count, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, so just trying to kind of think in terms of how am I going to put that variety of strategic opportunities throughout, uh, throughout my time with my students to gather information that I can act on now that I can act on as a professional next year with the next group. And that next year's teacher can act on with the student who will eventually leave me. Right. Yeah, you, it, I, I think you're really, uh, I, I appreciate you bringing us back to what Construct 5 is really asking, which is, you know, how do we plan assessments to monitor and support student learning? And it makes me think about um, the whole understanding by design uh, philosophy and that sort of plan, that backwards planning technique where we start by thinking about 
what do we want students to know and be able to do by the conclusion of this unit or this course or this school year or whatever. Um, and then we kind of work back from there, right? Like you said, begin with the end in mind. So, you know, if, if they know slash are able to do those things, then what would that look like? How, how would we as teachers know that they know? Um, and then that helps us in turn plan assessments. So that, then how can I design an assessment where students can show that knowledge? Um, and that's a conversation I've had with, with several teachers recently about the, the form of an assessment and is an assessment really measuring the thing we think it is or the thing we want it to, mm. or is the form of an assessment adding a layer that could be a barrier to actually measuring student knowledge? So for example, if I have uh, a student who's a multilingual learner and maybe English is not their first language and I want to know if they understand the plot of a short story. It might be that they do comprehend the plot, but their language skills haven't developed to a point yet where they can write about the plot for me. And so to provide them with an open-ended question where they have to describe the plot of the story to me in writing isn't really measuring their knowledge of plot. It's measuring their knowledge of how well that they can put together a complete thought and a complete sentence. Mm. So is that written form actually necessary for the assessment or can I do something else, right? Could I sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them? Could they draw me an illustration? Could I create a, a flip grid and they can self-record a video of themselves explaining it aloud? You know, so thinking differently about how we plan the format of assessment to actually measure the thing we want to measure, right? And, and I, I would add to that, if you have, like you may, a lot of our listeners may be constrained. They may mm -hmm. be required to give tests or assessments that look a particular way. Right. And if you find yourself in that situation, then you can also vary how you look at whatever you've given. So mm -hmm. if you did have that situation where you wanted to assess plot and you had a requirement on you that it be in the form of some kind of a written essay or something like this, that, that could itself be a barrier for the student to demonstrate their plot knowledge. Well, you can choose not to look at the flaws that you find in the written expression to kind of look past them and, mm -hmm. and discern from them what thought, what understandings of plot are being expressed here. Right, right. And, and I think that really gets, I, I love the idea of the, uh, of the form because the, there's an old computer, uh, computer programming uh, acronym, GIGO, right? G-I-G-O, mm -hmm. garbage in, garbage out. Mm -hmm. So if you give a student a poor quality task, you set them up to not be able to give you very good quality data. Mm -hmm. um, so insofar as we have choice over it, you know, how can we make choices that are more authentic? Like you described, you know, if you want to know about a plot and you want to know about a student's understanding and you know, writing's a barrier, can they record a flip grid? Mm -hmm. Can they, you know, do several of the other suggestions you indicated? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, about when you mentioned garbage in garbage out, again, have, have had conversations recently with teachers about maybe some interim or benchmark type assessments that like you mentioned are out of their hands. These are things they have to give, you know, whether that's by district mandate or even state mandate, 
Um, and it's been interesting to have conversations with them about how they talk with their students about these assessments um, and sort of like pulling back the curtain a little bit and just being transparent with the students to say, because what are students going to ask? Is this for a grade, right? Um, right? And for a lot of the students, or excuse me, a lot of the teachers that I've talked to, uh, that element of it not being graded as it shouldn't be right. Like we don't, we don't want a benchmark assessment to, to be an accountability measure. It's a, it's a formative assessment. It's a measurement of where students are. Um, but for students that lands a little bit differently, right? If I'm not getting graded on this, then why should I take it seriously? Right. And so I've encouraged teachers to have explicit conversations with their students, you know, and it, this is middle grades, but this is also second and third grade students or even younger to say, you know, this assessment that we're going to take is a way for me as the teacher to understand better what you know, so that I know how to help you better, right? Um, and, you know, does that, does that change every student's mind about giving 100% of their best effort on, on a benchmark? Maybe not, right? But for some, it certainly does. Um, and that, that gets back to your comment about you know, if, if students are putting garbage effort in, then we're getting garbage data out about what they really know or can do, um, which then I think also goes back to the notion of an assessment system. So if I did give a benchmark assessment and I can tell it's garbage data, well, what else do I have that can either corroborate or refute the data in that particular assessment? I, I've got to think collectively about all the puzzle pieces I have and what they tell me as a whole, rather than just these individual snapshots in time, sort of a, you know, taking these multiple photographs and turning them into, I don't know what the extended metaphor is there, a motion picture or a mosaic, right? How do we put all these pieces together? Nice. Yeah. Those, uh, like those, like those pictures that are themselves composed of other pictures. And when you right. back out far enough, you get like a, like a face or the statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's cool. I like that idea. And, and I want to, I want to bail myself out here lest I get in trouble with uh, any valued partners. I am not <laughs> declaring that pre-made assessments are inherently garbage, but no, of course not. But I guess I would think about it like this. If, if you're trying to put a deck together and you want to use screws and the only tool you've got is a hammer, that hammer is functionally garbage. It's not the right tool for the job. Right. And, right. and so if the job you're trying to do with your assessment is make a final declarative statement about this is what this student understands at this point in time. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. That's one particular kind of tool. Mm -hmm. But if your task is how do I, how do I understand what the student knows so that I can adjust the instruction that I have left or mm -hmm. so that I can best use the time that I have going forward, that calls for a different kind of tool. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know, so, I mean, the reality is at some point we do have to know, you know, we do have to make a, de a declaration sure. at some point. Student X knows this much, and we find that to be an adequate amount for our purposes. Right. But but that point isn't every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, absolutely. You kind of get to the idea of, uh, you know, we, we just, we want to use, we want to use these, uh, these assessments as pieces, pieces of evidence that contribute to an overall picture of a student's understanding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if that means one, one cool thing is like a lot of places are required to use particular um, online commercial assessment packages. 
Right. And, and sometimes those consist of a lot of multiple choice questions. And so, you know, a simple thing that you can do is to pull a question or two out of that and, you know, ask your students to identify, tell me two wrong answers. Tell me two mm-hmm. answers that nobody should pick. Mm-hmm. Right. And I used to enjoy doing that because first of all, it was teaching a test taking strategy, right? Eliminate right. the bad choices. But I like to think, and maybe this is just me being self-complimentary in my memory, I like to think that I was also encouraging students' critical thinking so far as they had to articulate the problem with the choice. You couldn't just tell me it's not C. You need to tell me it's not C because. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I found that especially helpful. Like I I remember distinctly when I was teaching uh, ninth grade English, and this was also... For that particular class, this was the first time that they had taken an online assessment. This was when the English 1 EOC moved online. And so that was a little bit of an earth-shattering thing for them. And so we, we talked about the test-taking strategies they had been taught for paper-pencil environments and how we could translate those to an online environment. Um, but I remember with that group of students, like they when we got to test prep time, they were really into playing the, but Mr. Smith, what if game, you know, so we, they'd take a practice assessment, we'd review it. And I'd say, all right, guys, this one is C and like, but Mr. Smith, like, what about, you know, which warmed my heart a lot because that's what we'd been trying to do all year long. Right. Was develop their critical thinking skills. Like you say, and like, you know, pick an answer and support it. Right. I'm concerned about your ability to construct an argument. Right. Which on a multiple choice assessment is not the name of the game, unfortunately. Um, so those kinds of conversations that you're describing where we get students to talk about not just which answer is right, but which answers are wrong and why are they wrong, right? Helped me get my students into the mindset of just playing the game of that particular assessment, which was best answer, right? Not necessarily the perfect answer, not the answer that you have in your brain, right? Not the one that you're going to make an argument for, but, you know, of the four options that you're presented with, which one's the best, right? Um, and so it was a little bit of a mental shift for my students, um, but we we eventually got out of the but Mr. Smith, what if game into the, okay, let's just play the game of this assessment. And, and, you know, I think that, I think that's, a, that deserves a mention or a little additional time before, before we close that, you know, in the end, the formal assessments that we think of are largely a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can disagree over whether or not that game is valid, whether or not it really tells us what our kids know, whether or not it's worth the amount of time and resources we devote to. Those are all moot points because they're out of our hands. We, you know, right. in the distant future, maybe collectively, if we have a belief surrounding that, we can advocate for a change for it. But mm-hmm. our world right now is that's our game and we got to learn how to play it. And so, and, and so I think that's, that's not, that can't be all we do. I don't want that to right. be all we talk about, but, and I don't think anybody does, but I think we're remiss if we don't talk some about it. Yeah. And, and some, one of the ways we can address inequality is by revealing the rules of the game mm-hmm. to those who might not otherwise be taught them due to their circumstances. Right. And, and so as we look at, you know, tools that we didn't create, just to kind of peel back that layer and make it more transparent. Mm-hmm. You know? And then in the, 
in the circumstances where we do have control over the form of the assessment or the timing of the assessment to strive to make things more engaging and authentic. So, you know, my students have to play the game of a multiple choice or a drag and drop or a fill in the blank assessment at the end of the year. But in the meantime, uh, you know, I can do things like uh, have them do, you know, authentic writing, or I can have them make podcasts, or I can do other kinds of project based learning, I can have them create products, uh, and then interact with members of the community to present and share them, right? I'm, I'm a big PBL fan. Um, I think PBL as a means of, of learning and assessment is really powerful. So yeah, play, play the game, I guess, when the game is foisted upon you, so to speak. And then in the times when it's not, change the rules of the game. That's right. That's right. Mike, this has been just a, a pleasure. I really, really appreciate your time here this morning. Is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on as we think about planning assessments to monitor and support student learning? Gosh, uh, that's a big question. I guess the, the, <laughs> one other th the one other thing that I'll just drop in for, for food for thought, um, I'm, I'm a big fan also of professional learning communities and the work done around PLCs. And one of the things in so many ways in my practice that just centers me a lot is coming back to Dufour's four questions of PLCs. So what do we want students to know and be able to do? How are we going to know that they know those things or are able to do those things? What will we do when they haven't learned? And what will we do when they already have learned? And, I, and as somebody who was a former gifted program director, that fourth question is one that really resonates with me too. We got to think about when assessments tell us students already know the stuff that we were going to teach them, what do we do? So anyway, I, I would just say, for folks to think about those four questions and think about the ways that assessment interacts with those questions, supports the answering of those questions. Um, and Because they're, they're the bottom line. The mm -hmm. objective is not to pass a test. The objective is to learn. Right. And to learn what? First question. Mm -hmm. you know, to, to verify that we've learned. Second question. To help those that haven't learned. Third question. And to accelerate those who already have learned fourth mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. That's that's why we plan assessments. Exactly. That's awesome. Ike, thanks so much. Thank you, Wayne. This is fun. Thanks for taking the time to process all that information. Please know the NCNTSP sincerely wants to hear from you. Leave messages on this podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at the underscore NCNTSP. And as always, thank you, teachers, for all that you do.